0: Welcome to the Evolution Exchange podcast, bringing together the best technical leaders to talk about the industry passions and challenges that they are facing. I'm Ollie Stockford from Evolution Recruitment Solutions, helping businesses connect with top tech talent, and today I'm your host. So today we're going to be discussing what does the future hold for fintech, a topic that has many layers, and therefore I'm excited for this one. I'm delighted to be joined by Mike Dodd from Propel Finance, Glenn Smith from Rocket. Adam Jones from Seckle, and Thomas Herko from Pay It Monthly. Before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. So Mike, do you want to kick
1: us off with a brief intro, please? Hi, thanks, Ali. Um, I'm Mike Dodd. I'm the head of technology for Propel Finance. We're an asset finance company based in the UK, uh, oh. predominantly do business to business asset finance lending. Thank you very much. And Glenn?
2: Hi, my name is Glenn Smith. I have uh, a background in 15 years in big finance with UBS and Barclays Capital. Uh, I spent the last 13 years in various tech enterprises. In the last three years, I've uh, set up uh, and built a company called Rocket, which is focused on open banking payments. Thank you, Glenn. Adam? Uh, yeah. Uh, Adam Jones, CTO of
3: Seckle. We're an investment technology company who help people to invest invest well. Uh, I'm responsible for product engineering, data, and IT ops. So anything that relates to what we build, why we build it, and how we build it. Thank you, Adam. Last but not least, Thomas.
4: Hi, I'm I'm Thomas Herko, CTO of a dynamically growing UK-based retail finance company called Paid Monthly, uh, which was founded in 2015. At this company, my primary responsibilities include implementing automated credit decisioning, transitioning the IT systems to the cloud using Kubernetes and Docker, designing and constructing a new system from the ground up and uh, migrating the existing systems. Thank you.
0: Perfect. So now we're all introduced, uh, let's move on to the topic in focus. So we've all been discussing separately a question or statement, and as usual, I'll work around the room asking you to give your thoughts on your question and the reasons behind it. Each of you will also have the opportunity to give your take on the situation too. So let's start with Mike. So mike your question was what do you see as the
1: most significant trends in fintech over the next five to ten years so it's a it's a good question i like i've been pondering for for a while there's 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 numerous uh there's numerous uh improvements that are coming but every single one of them puts puts the customer first and has massive benefits for for the consumer so there's there's going to be an increase in fraud attempts of all of the ai Chatbots and other bits and pieces that are coming, but I think there's going to be an overall drop in fraud that actually gets through. Uh, The level of biometric security, facial recognition, fingerprints, the level of uh, checks and balances we can have in place now through through automation and through technology is going to make it much more difficult for the actual end fraud to come through. The lower fraud you have, the 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 better rates eventually you can you can then offer the the end customer. Um, There's Going to be a massive increase in legislation over the next five to ten years from a combination of Brexit and other kind of trends. You know, consumer duty, GDPR, the new ISO 2022 controls. You know, there's there's revised stuff coming in for SOC 2 for anyone that's working in the states. um And that's just that's that's just the beginning. And the the level where AI can really help on this is is going to be a game changer. New new contracts that are coming through the ability for uh, for chatbots and AI to to compare contractual requirements across multiple different legislative frameworks uh, is going to make onboarding of new suppliers partners contracts much much easier you know is this particular statement conflicting with this particular statement in gdpr or this particular statement in pci dss um, and i think that's going to be a real a real game changer to getting through contracts and legislative reviews that are coming easier and quicker uh, risk management is also going to get much much better um you know taking taking big data analytics and looking for trends uh combining that with all the additional information you have now on businesses and individuals means that you can get really tailored really tailored packages for individuals i think when you get away from um uh, kind of set financial products and it's going to get much more tailored and bespoke to individual needs be that for the the actual initial product or the insurance you know based on you know the the number of days the customer is using something for or their their exact financial situation or location or whatever it is the the more data you have on them the more bespoke and tailored you can get there uh, you can get their their package um which i think again all of these things help make sure the, the the right customers get the right products um which you know again all of this stuff comes back to comes back to kind of putting the customer first having their having their experience get better and better um Open banking as well was another thing that that's that's going to help in that with more more and more financial data and institutions you know working together again all of that just feeds into to more data to help get the right decisioning and the right financial package for for individuals. Um, uh, other things like being able to pay with their kind of preferred payment method, be that kind of mobile payments, be that different uh, payment schedules, be that. You know, um, cryptocurrencies, digital currencies, central bank currencies, whatever that is, whatever the customer wants to work and operate, is going to make their lives better and easier and simpler. Um, Other things as well, like uh, like chatbots and uh, auto uh, kind of auto responders, they get better and better. Uh, Financial contracts and things can be quite long and complicated, especially when you have you know weird queries. You know the I don't know the the agreement holder dies or what happens at the end of the contract or you know um uh, alternative ways to pay etc all of these kind of questions and queries that would normally float into um kind of customer support teams the the bulk majority of that is going to be able to be handled by um by bots and increasingly so, as, as as you start able to to feed those into your actual your actual systems, it's then going to be you know what's my final settlement amount or you know how can I extend this? Can I take holiday payments? You know, actual redoing calculations and information on the fly is going to make make the customers journey reduce their response times and make their make their experience uh, much much better um so a- again every everything i'm kind of thinking about the next five to ten years is is customer focused and orientated and what, what's going to make their life better and simpler uh yeah and that, that's kind of kind of where i see where i see the market the market and the the technology kind of helping to 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 improve improve the journey perfect thank you
0: mike i told you there'd be a lot of ways to this topic wasn't it <laughs> um Glenn, have you got anything to add to that would you say a lot was covered there from Mike, so appreciate that, Mike.
2: Yeah, I think I think Mike touched on a load of stuff there, which which is cool because I think there's a load of technology trends that are going to be affecting fintech, and I agree with that. I the uh, there's a number of different pieces that come together. Uh, Rocket was an open banking based startup, so we're completely aware of the benefits of collating data together in open banking terms. Um, one of the things that we threw up there. And uh, one of the things that uh, Mike said there was around um, fraud and the analysis and the biometric feedback, making everything more secure and a drop off in those things. Actually, I'll counter that by saying the open banking experiences we've had is sometimes those elements can make it slightly more fragmented, i.e. Um, the data sets that you have are being held in other organizations that don't necessarily share data due to GDPR and security reasons. And because of that, there are um, gaps in between the data sets that they can be used to do fraud detection across that. So if all the data is just in one organization, then fraud detection should be getting better. And we definitely agree with that point. But if it's across multiple organizations due to various service level agreements between different fintechs, then that, co- then that data might not have the right communication capabilities to be able to feed the fraud systems to do the detection in the real time necessary. So that's, that's one minor point. And I'll come back to some other stuff as we talk about the other answers and that, but that was a, a very comprehensive coverage there to start with. We've opened a kind of worms here, haven't we? Uh, Thomas, anything to add to that? Uh
4: I I agree with the things that we covered here. Uh I think cybersecurity has to improve a lot. there are gonna be more sophisticated methods to, to 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 generate fraud cases and uh cybersecurity has to to catch up and 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 be capable to to catch catch this this sophisticated new methods. Uh, the open banking is definitely gonna be um, much more trendy, more common. Uh, it will it will reduce the price. It's gonna be like a, a better way uh to, to, to pay. And we, we can already see some 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 positive impacts of the open banking. We Re- recently implemented it and and we can collect a lot of lot of additional data. We can we can we can generate better um, decisioning from this data, the, the question is like how comfortable the customers feel, will be to share all these information with us.
0: Perfect. Thank you, Thomas uh, And Adam,
3: finally, uh, anything to add to that point? Yeah, I think in terms of the FinTech context, that feels really comprehensive and would agree with all of those trends. I guess for me, there's maybe a broader industry context, which is that the pace of change that software is able to operate at is increasing and sort of paired with that there's a decreasing cost of change so it's driven by better ways of working better tooling better support we see loads of stuff coming out of chat gbt and copilot that are really enabling engineering teams to make the best of change and ultimately that should be driving better outcomes and i think what we're really seeing is that we're entering the change of the kind of not massive project cost So, you know, historically, any kind of major change project in financial services is like eight or nine or maybe even 10 figures. And actually, we're getting to a world where you can make meaningful, positive change for six figures. And that feels like a really compelling uh, thing, because most of that change in line with all of the topics mentioned is driving better consumer outcomes. So for me, it's quite an exciting time as I look forward, because... Innovators will do lots of interesting stuff, but, they, but they'll be able to do so in a way that's more experimental, that's quicker to get to customers and, and doesn't break the bank. Um, so, yeah, that's probably my my look forward. Cheers, Adam. Thank you very much. And uh, thanks, everyone, for their input on
0: that, that point. There. Um, Glenn, we'll come to you next. Then, So your question was, uh, how will AI and machine learning impact the future of fintech? Probably another weighty one here, uh, but Glenn, over to you.
2: Sure. So um, to give some context around why I'm sort of an interesting person on that topic, I, uh, as I said, spent 15 years in uh, sort of uh, international finance in the wholesale side of markets in FX, built a lot of technology products there. And I've spent the last 13 years in, in technology across across things like robotics. I did a lot of work on AI, though, before going we into the pure fintech, so on. And then that AI work. I actually did a big project back in 2019 for HSBC on how AI can be deployed across their whole international markets operation. So I got a lot of deep insight uh, into what the, where the market was in terms of uh, different tools being used. And there is a lot of impact that AI has already had, let's be clear, on in finance. Um, like 15 years ago, we were using a lot of machine learning techniques to be able to automate Foreign exchange market making with and Barclays with the Barclays product, we were the first company to do that. Um, as we've seen the advances in deep le- uh, in deep learning really come across in the through the 2000s and 10s, like the amazing stuff that we've seen across a lot of different areas. We we do know the data, uh, which is the main main blood of finance in general, ha- has been very much deep mined. You know, there's a lot of um, fraud detection that's coming through cre- credit credit uh scoring on the fly has helped a lot you know we've seen open banking come into that which has opened up data across a lot of uh different uh, institutions so the the consumer is more in control of their own data i agree with tamas's point that the consumers need to feel safe in sharing that data but i do believe that's that they are doing that there's been open banking I'm not sure what the latest stats are i think the latest number that i saw a few uh Last year was like six million users had shared their data through open banking or used open banking type APIs and services. So, I think the answer is people are willing to do this. Definitely the early adopters at this stage, but six million is becoming a reasonably big quantity of the overall UK population in that front. But I think the incentives need to be right and the security needs to be right. And they need to be reassured that that's going to be secure. But I think those boxes are being ticked. And also, what we're seeing through that is more dynamic real-time credit scoring happening, which is interesting. Um, we've already seen activity in that space, both in the tech and the startup founding, but also in exits as well. Apple have bought a UK um UK company in that's in that space. The in the terms of the fraud detection side of things that problem isn't solved well across open banking at the moment, I, I feel, as we've been specialists both in the data analysis and categorization of spend and giving that sort of information back to users. We found good feedback in those services and users like that analysis and that capability. I think in the open banking payments, we're still seeing the traction in that building. Uh, there's definitely drives by the regulators that they want to see that come up. But we do need to see those uh, good, good analytics, good fraud exp- uh, uh, capabilities, et cetera. But I think what is the future? hold? that's sort of where we are at the moment. I think that data analysis and what uh, we've seen the auto investment side of things around here's a good um, here's a good portfolio for your risk risk needs in terms of personal investment and wealth management for people that's been scaled that's offered robo advice and robo investment opportunities to a large number not bit of the population through companies like nutmeg which has now been bought by jp morgan but i think going forward we're going to see much more customized advice do how do you do that customized advice well well i think uh the large language models that we're seeing coming out of ai now uh, Chat is obviously the, the famous example on that. But actually, large, large language models themselves currently hallucinate. They're Therefore, they're not correct for large-scale wealth advice. But that's going to be solved. Uh, if you think that's going to be a defense against in that area, that's not going to be the case. We're seeing so, so rapid advances at the moment. Last week, Anthropic came out with 100,000 tokens available for their chatbot. That's like a huge amount of data um, that is able to give context to the answers that the uh, chat bots are going to be able to give. And on the back of that, we're going to get going to get very, very accurate advice for things like wealth management that's going to be very customized to users. So with that ability of large audience models, I think to take complex complex uh, legislation and uh, legal law up and apply um, apply customization to users through an interactive bot, that'll, that'll create the sort of wealth management advice that costs 1% of your portfolio a year that's generally only available to quite large portfolios and 500,000 and upwards sort of thing, it's going to become open to the masses. And I think there's a number of companies already begin to work in that space. But I don't think we've really seen any company really nail uh, the potential of the personalized AI-led uh, language-based advice that we're going to see going forward. And couple that with uh, some of the open banking technologies to see assets across multiple portfolios, we're going to be able to see very comprehensive analysis of u- users and good advice being given to them through these services. Now. So that's one of the big trends. I think it's common. I'm sure there's a number of people working on that at the moment. Don't know them specifically because these services haven't been launched yet. But that's a trend that's, that, and I definitely think in the next two or three years, that's going to become a reality, which is probably going to work very well for the likes of the, the customers that um, Adam has with seckle actually. So a, there's a segue to Adam in, in terms of that stuff. There's, there's my take. It's probably a, a good handover into that. Doing your job for you there, Oliver.
0: There you are, Glenn. I might as well just go out the room here. Eh? Adam, you are next. How did you know, Glenn? It's beautifully
3: teed up, Glenn. Thank you. I appreciate that. Um, and yeah, completely agree. The the wealth advisory sector is an interesting one. Like, there is a massive advice gap. So if you don't have a meaningful size portfolio, you can't get access to financial advice. We don't have enough financial advisors in market. Um, and actually technology and specifically probably AI and, and language modeling is a great bridge to that i always see it as a, like a parallel to self-driving cars and we've got phases right so with self-driving cars you get i think phase one's like driver assist so you get some cruise control you get some lane support and you get up to like phase three and that's self-drive sometimes and human intervention sometimes and ultimately you get to self-drive in all conditions under phase five five i guess what we've seen in advice maybe is We've seen some hypothesis testing, which is probably what you've seen with fund managers and portfolio managers, where they're running models on markets and trying to define intelligence from that. The next step from that is decision support. And that's, you know, augmenting human financial advice by providing some decision support and providing the ability to maybe scale that a bit more easily. And then ultimately, there's a, a truly independent technology-driven advice platform, which is the kind of thing that some of those companies that Glenn mentions are aspiring towards and working on. We probably see it that there is space for all of that continuum depending on what you need. And it's interesting the human behavioral side of stuff says, actually, if I've got a meaningful portfolio, sometimes I really do want the reassurance of a person. But if that person can be 10 times more impactful because they're powered by financial systems and by technology, then that's brilliant. And some people, frankly, don't want to talk to anyone and just want an app that does it all for them. And that's great too. Uh, so that's definitely aligned with how i'd see the world evolving perfect thank you adam uh mike
1: any thoughts on that uh no nothing, nothing really to add from a from a front end uh point of view I, I think there's also massive advantages for ai in in the back end in spotting things you know from from insider trader to potential fraud to to being used by the auditors you know when they're trying to pick and uh, ascertain what uh you know what 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 parts of the system to look at you know using using ai to look for anomalies um i think there's a, there's a there, there's some legs there in trying to identify things that are that are abnormal Um uh, i i know when we've uh, played with it looking for it yeah, and, and utilizing it for credit decisioning and starting to look for trends and patterns on you know on, on existing portfolios and you know what 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 deals don't don't work out as well as as well as they should do when you know, when manually looked at by by underwriters you know what what how can how can ai assist and i think that's the that's the keyword that adam was, was bringing in it's is using the ai to assist the you know the, the underwriting team with okay these, these are some trends these are some recommendations but let's still leverage your years and years of knowledge and expert understanding of this of this market to to make the ultimate decision um and i think for for smaller portfolios smaller deals smaller smaller asset types it's going to be more and more automated but as you get larger it's going to be that that combination of of using ai to help the help the experts uh make their make their decisions and make their recommendations
4: yeah
1: perfect mike uh, and thomas
0: finally on that point there no? anything to add oh uh, yeah I, I
4: pretty much agree with glenn We covered a lot of things um i think ai improved massively over the years and and i'm expecting a massive improvement in the in the not even in the future but in the near, near future and the question will be how how we can how we can use these technologies how we can adapt how leaders how developers how the teams can can utilize they can use this this, this new technologies uh, and how we can address the the different risks what it can carry um how how how, how we can address the security risks and and uh, and, and yeah pretty much how, how we can live with this because it's, it's 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 i think it's not even the future it's already it's already here it's not going to disappear we have to we have to adopt we have to we have to live it so we have to work out how how it will be useful for us
0: perfect thank you Thomas. and uh obviously what's obvious question um is linked to ai and how that's going to transform the industry in the next decade so one to uh, listen out for shortly but moving on to adam um which i think um could link and tie in potentially to to what we were talking about before is is um you know what role will partnerships and collaborations play in shaping the future of fintech I think a, a big one here and and probably a little bit to talk about as well. So Adam, over to you first please.
3: Yeah, happy to to take it through and I guess the context, again maybe not completely unique to, to fintech, but more around um, you know, startups and scale ups and, and what it looks like. I sort of see it from two different angles. I think there's a bit of a hubris trap, which is a little bit too much what have the romans ever done for us and it comes maybe from startups and scale-ups it can be that whole you know we're a great agile business we're trying to solve a particular problem we feel that we're brilliant at it and what have you big legacy company got apart from millions of pounds of capital recognizable global brand hundreds of thousands of customers you know the reality is we are we are innovators and actually what they have is an acute understanding of the problem probably enough motivation to have gone through a huge board approval process to get some money for a project and there, there's a real motivator there from let, let's call them incumbent firms to to kind of work on something there's also kind of the flip side to that is that there's an execution trap that a lot of big firms fall into um and you know let's say you're a legacy bank or something along those lines there's no amount of office refits, beanbags and ping pong tables that are going to make you quick at executing change and are going to make you an agile business. And in fact, if you've got a kind of agile reskilling project, you've probably failed already. So it's kind of like, well, these, these are two slightly different views. But the potential for success is if you can find a way of fusing those things together so practitioners who can really execute agile change and do it well and firms who really truly understand the customer and the problem space and the issues that they see day in day out then that can be a real recipe for success and i guess if we look at something like the Secl business for example so we're we're the definition of a partnership business so our mission is to help people invest and to invest well and we do not have a consumer facing brand so instead we power investment custody and account management services for other great brands across FinTech and financial advice. So people like Go Henry or P1 and there, I guess really what we're doing is the bit that customers don't care about but has to work, so that these brands can really focus on the customer engagement, building great services and great propositions and just having something that works in the back end. And our success only happens if our customers succeed. So it's, you know, sometimes when you have um partnerships in one place in the business sometimes you also have conflicting other business lines or there's this whole kind of risk that your d2c bit ends up cannibalizing your b2c bit um but actually we feel like lots of businesses like ours will become shaped around the partnerships that they actually have Um, and our our thing that we bring to the table is it's modern it's scalable and affordable Um, and that leads to positive consumer outcomes because to the point made earlier it means that big brands can execute change for a much smaller budget and therefore test new propositions, get things to market quicker and, and you know, should have a fundamentally different expectation. So so for us, partnerships really fill that space and offer the ability for firms to work really well together and to take value from that. Brilliant.
0: Thank you, Adam. Um Thomas, anything to add there? Uh
4: yeah, I think I think in this in this this AI world or AI, AI power world, like, um, uh, will be still really important the different partnerships and, and collaborations. So maybe they're going to be like more machine to machine communications in the future, but it will be really important to, to keep the, uh, the, keep up the partnerships and, 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 and the different collaborations. It, it will be probably more valuable than, uh, what it is now. That's what I'm expecting. Yeah. Mike, anything to add from from your experience?
1: Yeah, I mean, we we, we uh, as a business at Propel, we are uh, we are partnering. That's kind of one of our core our core tenants, and uh, the partnerships yeah. that we have with you know with with Barclays and Asset, to name a few, are are fundamental to our business. You know, we we do what we do very well, and they do what they do very well. And I think trying to trying to scale, you know, legacy bank to trying to change their their culture and make them more agile or execute quickly as kind adam said is, is is very difficult so if you find partners that do something very very well uh that meet your needs then 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 partner and do it that way you know if if businesses are trying to you know expand their I don't know, their, their data analytics platforms or their or their ai uh platforms and that they're trying to scale up and build a whole new teams departments and stuff for that is that is that really the right decision or do you partner with do you partner with somebody that does that and that's their bread and butter and that's their that's their core core tenant and by by leveraging that partnership you get the most out of you, you get the most out of your your resources i think when you're trying to to be all things to all people it can get it can get difficult if that's not if that's not what you do so you, yeah, you, you absolutely try and leverage those those partnerships with you know with front end, back end services, whatever it is you you need to do to 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 maximize your your output. Thank you, Mike. And and finally, um, what's your experience with with uh, partnerships
0: in clubs, and and how do you see them like in the future?
2: So yeah, if you, if you take a step back, even outside of fintech, and just look at the wider tech buildup over the last like 15, 20 years, the cloud has enabled a lot of. API-driven services, et cetera, which enabled mo- mobile apps in general so people can use a desktop version of an app and a mobile app using the same cloud backend and deliver that through the APIs based on their services. And then people have externalized those APIs. They offer those services to other other people. We see a lot of that in SMS, like Twilio is a classic one. Stripe for payments in, in FinTech specifically has, has been a massive one there as well. So, and that overall trend is it has is affecting all of tech, and it's definitely affecting uh, f- fintech especially. So uh, Rocket has we've now uh, sold the business. We're part of a bigger group now called Equals Group, and they offer banking as a service, which uh, in the form of the Equals Solutions product, which uh, will enable anyone to have uh, multi currency IBAN accounts. Uh, and be able to access those via API, et cetera, and beginning to form solutions around that, and Rocket are part of that offering now as well. And they sort of, I completely agree with what Adam said around what they're offering with Sackle, you know. Like, this is when I give advice out to other startups, no matter what the area in fintech or in other areas as well, really ask the question, do you really need to build this, right? Understand that, like, what does your product vision look like? When I talked to a founder and they said we want this whistle and this bell, and they go like, okay, you need all of those things. Are you absolutely sure? Do you need really need all of those things? What's what's the platforms that you could pick off the shelf out there that's going to give you 80 90% of those things, and they'll give it to you within like a month as opposed to having to develop it over a year or, or two years, basically, and a lot of engineering spend. You'll probably, in most in, in nearly every case I look at, you will get a much more sophisticated product. Uh, and a much more robust solution that will scale for you and your customers from someone else. And and you've got to be abso- ab- absolutely sure that the if you don't want to go down that route, that you you have a really deep insight into how your element is going to need to change that as well. So my first protocol for any any startup that I'm talking to uh, is really do you need, is the buyer build. And with with products like Sackle out there at the moment, you know, the the case is becoming less and less that you need to build stuff yourself. There's a lot of great solutions out there. So really look to partner, find those solutions off themselves, and then really focus as 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 what Mike was saying on what you do really, really well, where you really deliver age in your insights or a specific service for a tailored for a very specific market or a very specific customer base, and then deliver absolute excellence and be the number try to be absolutely top in that niche. And uh, and don't spend the time building boilerplate stuff that you can get off the shelf. And, um, and you know that that's definitely those partnerships are absolutely key going forward in in, in old tech and especially in fintech where there's a, a really great set of offerings out there that is already that are already built basically. Fantastic. Some
1: wise words there from Glenn Smith, um, Mike. It's, it's the ongoing maintenance as well of these uh, of these home-built products as well you know especially in the time of high t- staff turnover and things it's it's great we've built it it's all working it's all it's all doing what it needs to the next windows update the next linux update something happens it breaks you know trying to go back through that stuff that's not your your bread and butter and i think that's the bit that's often underlooked and underthought about by, by people is that ongoing maintenance and updates and trying to keep that that service up and running so if you can get those partnerships that that handle all of that for you that's a whole that's a whole headache that you haven't got to deal with i know it's it's I think it's more difficult for you know for for people who are particularly hands on and want to, and want to be building the tech and want to be getting involved and in making those micro decisions. But if you can if you can step back and let decent partners build that, then I think you're 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 ahead of the game. Yeah, okay.
2: that's, that, that's exactly right. Just to give our experience with Rocket and that we've partnered with MoneyHub, Bristol Bristol based uh, open banking uh, platform layer. Um, I had a previous startup in Bath where we were doing API integrations. We built them very quickly with a great service, but then, as as Mike just said, that was our real experience. It changes to those, maintaining them and updating them. All of a sudden, we were basically spending a lot of engineering time just maintaining the product we had, not innovating and not building new features. And if you can outsource that, it's it's definitely uh, very cost effective. Tens of five, ten thousand a month might sound like a lot in some of these cases, maybe not even as much as that. But... You know, cost of engineering can rapidly take you through that. You need to really attribute your costs very, very well as a as a leader in a tech business when you're making these sort of decisions around this stuff. And uh, that's definitely been my experience. So being able to not worry about those things and uh, just focusing your core business is definitely key. Very insightful. Thanks, Glenn. I, I think that's really
0: interesting. a point that um, could really relate to uh you know, quite a lot of fintech startups maybe in the area um, and in the industry. So finally, Thomas, um, your question, linking to Glenn a little bit, but talking about the next decade almost as well. So how do you envisage AI transforming the financial industry um, over to you, Thomas, with, with your point on
4: that? Thank you, Oliver. It's uh, <clears throat> indeed a really real challenge to, to predict what will happen in the in the fintech industry in the next, next decade. So nowadays, the industry and technology are evolving rapidly making it difficult to make precise predictions. Uh to, to put that into context, how rapidly is this change? Let let me talk a bit of my personal experience from the from the past years. So five years ago when I started to work uh to paid monthly, uh I, I, I could overhear some conversations uh from the office. I, I could hear what the sales team were talking with, with our with our partners or, or or clients and and our sales team said that our solution was paperless and fully online. And it. I found it really interesting. At that time, that was already something what differentiated us from from some of our main competitors. However, I found it surprising that such a feature was seen as a dis, distinguished factor, as I believe it should have been a basic requirement in the industry rather than an additional advantage. <laughs> and I heard a story that one of our competitors uh, Retailer couldn't put through new new agreements. Um, their customer couldn't apply for finance because there was a snowstorm, <laughs> and the finance company did the credit checking over the phone, and and the handlers couldn't get into the office. So that that, that was five years ago, which <laughs> uh, is I I found it a bit absurd. I had mixed feelings about this. I was like uh, the, the the fintech companies were a bit behind where they supposed to be. Uh, maybe there were some big big participants, they felt comfortable not to even innovate. Uh, on the other hand, uh, this created so many opportunities very quickly. And now these scenarios are unimaginable. Uh, at the time, we we did the credit checking and credit decisioning manually. So our customer had to wait up to two working days for the outcome. Um, however, as the world uh, was rapidly digitalizing, one of my first projects was to automate this this credit decisioning so we had to to post data to the credit reference agency so we we are using experience experience and uh, then we analyze this this really huge massive credit file what we got back like ten thousand lines of xml for only a single customer um, and and we could build up a decision engine just using that data and there were some cases when we had to manually check the credit wise and make the decisions to ensure the high standards, it's like maybe 20% of the decisions we had to do that still manually, uh, but but 80% was fully automated. Uh, the, the credit checking data is, is quite complex, so it has so many dependencies and it's, it's hard to analyze, so it's hard to oversee by, by a human. So it, it, it was a really good opportunity for for a neural network to fo- feed all the data and and train a model. And as a result, um, all the credit decisions, uh, what we are making now, they are powered by AI and it takes just seconds to, to generate a much more accurate prediction that what a human is capable of reducing the risks and, and the issues opening up a lot of new possibilities, scalability, efficiency in resource usage and, and new products options for us. So it's, it's uh, I found this really fascinating as like what happened in a few years time from a call center and manual decisioning to a fully automated and highly sophisticated credit decisioning engine. And we, we managed to achieve that with a really small team. So with a few developers, uh, like these technologies are getting more common, more accessible, more <laughs> available for, for, for everyone really. So what, what I expect uh, in the next decade, I think as we can see, uh, the AI is getting quite good, not just in, in specific tasks, but in, in tasks that we, probably haven't expected a few years ago uh, how how far it can get in such a short period of time so it's getting something but it's not just used by tech people but pretty much available for for everyone uh like as as we can see uh, like it's 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 used it's used by by uh, it can be used by anyone you've got a record uh registration uh, open api HTTP. uh so it's going, it's going to be able to produce much more accurate data-driven decisions, uh, which, which is one of its strengths already. And, and it can consume, analyze really large amount of data in, in, in seconds. So this can provide more responsible lending decisions for finance companies. Uh, it can reduce the, the default rates and, and the, the risk, uh, but can potentially lower the, the costs for, for both ends. Because again, I have like less bad debt, less tricky, tricky ones, uh, and uh, we can offer the finance for only for the customers who who are eligible, which is which is good for both parties. Um, and AI will be able to analyze and understand the business and consumer requirements and provide more personalized offers, which I think is really important. So I ex- expect a much bigger competition. So it's going to be a bit like. Who has a better AI? Who has who has more and better quality data AI AI which will try to sell products to to customers will compete against AIs which will try to to pick the best service or products for the customers. So it's going to be a little bit like a, a race. Um, new new development will require less developers um, because because we have this AI uh, tools which are already available. So what I expect is that the the gap between the different services will, will be reduced. So companies will be able to achieve developments, features, um, and the and the, like like it, the, it's gonna reduce the gap between the different like like features what the companies can offer, and the pricing will be also more competitive. So what I believe is that fintech companies have to find their way to 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 differentiate themselves from from the others uh, a bit bit more than that. And uh, AI will reduce the, name of the need of the um, manual work even more. FinTech companies can automate more of their processes like fraud detections, what, what we mentioned before. Um, businesses and client onboarding, support, uh, compliance, legal work is gonna be all, all powered by AI. Data, I, I think data will be even more valuable than it is now. So the question will be how, how, how you can get get more data, how you can get into the chatbot, how you can get into the recommendation engine's memory. Uh, how, 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 uh, I, I think in the future, some of the websites will, will disappear. For example, what will be the point of, of search engines or, or some news portals? Because you can just type your question into into a chatbot. Um, so we can turn to the chatbot, get the information. And if that's the case, and it will be really important for the fintech companies to find their way, find their channels to, to, to get to the customers and to get get the data. Uh, regulators uh, will have to catch up with the latest developments. Uh, for instance, we are not regulated at the moment. We are exempt. We can, we can offer interest-free finance up to 12 months. Uh, however, we have applied to become regulated, uh, but... When we handed in our application, they 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 wanted to understand how we are making the the credit decisions and and the affordability checks and we we explained them that basically we have a neural network power decisioning engine, statistical decisioning, uh, and that is making much more accurate decisions. Uh, our our default rate dropped insanely, uh, and the FCA. Told us that they don't understand how AI works, so that was their reaction. Uh, they did not accept it. Our, our explanation that okay, that like it, we analyze the data and and the the AI is, is 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 helping us to make the decisions. So so they have to catch up a bit. Uh, it's not a question that they they have to they have to start using AI tools to to oversee and and monitor the finance finance companies and suspicious activities too. So I think AI will inevitably play a crucial role in the next decade. It will be impossible not to use it or implement it for fintech companies and won't even be about the competitiveness. It will be a default. The the question or uncertainties uh, are about how far they can advance. Uh, how how we can address the security risks? Uh, will it be like <laughs> R2D2 from the Star Wars, like a, like a, a, a co-pilot who will follow our instructions? We, we can tell tell it what to do, how to do it. It can help us help setting up things. Uh, or or it will be more more intelligent, like uh, I don't know, it's like like the Terminator or something, um, which is which is obviously not not great if that's the case. Hopefully, uh, this is an ex- exaggeration, but uh, also <laughs> setting up very difficult. Yeah, this that, that, that is also really difficult to answer. Um, and what I found really interesting is that how much power or control we are willing to, to give give to it. Because humans, by their nature, need, need, need to feel the sense of control of their own life. So I, I don't think that we will give all of the control to AI and uh, we will still keep our own reasoning uh so yeah. i i i think personally that uh analytical reasoning skill will probably be, be even more valuable in the next decade especially in the fintech industry
0: yeah thank you samas so it's, it's a very awaited subject ai and i think it's not just in the fintech sector it's it's common in increasingly in every uh, sector tech touches almost so um what I decided to do rather than going around the room just in terms of timing I think because we've discussed AI uh, quite a lot on this call and um, I'm going to delve into the final question that I'm going to pose to everyone because I think we've snippeted at um a bits of it throughout the, the uh episode of advice that could be given um and you know the gaps in the market almost as well which I think investors and entrepreneurs could really take uh, take to a little bit and, and understand where to invest uh, money wisely. Um. So, you know, what advice do you think? This is a question to all of you now to finish off. What advice would you give to entrepreneurs and investors looking to capitalize on the future of fintech? And I think a
1: question that's probably insightful for many. Um, we're going to go to Mike first. Uh, I think it comes down to putting the customer first. If you if you're identifying niches or or gaps in the market where the customer isn't being serviced to the fullest extent, and you've got some some idea, some concept that's going to help make the customer's life better, you know, be be that easier to get a credit decision, easier to understand the contracts, easier to uh, you know, facilitate the deal whatever it is. If you're finding a a niche that helps the customer's life gets better, and you focus on that, you're going to succeed. I think if you're trying to put put profit before the customer or you found some you know some clever way to 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 do something that that's for you and not and not in the best interest of the customer i think you're going to struggle either with uh either with like legislative changes that are going to be coming or just as the as the industry kind of uh, moves more and more towards that that customer focus thank you mike um interesting that one that point there um adam yeah i think it's 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 sort of funny one i mean glenn
3: called it earlier you know that do you really need all these things do you really need this stuff do you have to be the one that builds it i think the reality for entrepreneurs and people growing businesses now is that cash is harder to find and you know there is a barrier to investment that probably wasn't there five years ago and that makes a couple of things really really important it's like proof of profit and proof of scale so you know people do want to see you growing your business with an eye on costs with an understanding of what profitability would look like versus just scale for scale's sake. and the second bit is like actually really getting a handle on your addressable market why you're the right person to solve that problem and why that problem exists and hasn't been solved already and i, I think you know it can be easy to drift into a business which doesn't necessarily have clarity on product market fit and its route to profit and if either of those things are true you know it's going to be a really tough ask when you get round to needing to raise funding and needing to really prove that you're the business in that space thank you madam and um just
0: before we move on to, to Thomas, and and this is out of the plan at all, but I think you know most people will understand the process that you go through. But just in a snippet for anyone that uh, wants to to speak up here and just kind of give a bit of an insight in terms of that process, um, what would that stage be looking like to, to secure that investment? Anyone that has um, received that within their current role, obviously you can't disclose so much, but what is the process in a nutshell for any potential? Uh, investor or entrepreneur looking to invest in the in the industry what would that process look like anyone can 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 speak out here first come first serve as you wish
2: uh i'll stick i'll stick my hand up here as, a, and, as uh, an entrepreneur and an investor and as am sort of' I've got a framework which i look at now in detail around making own investments what adam just said there is absolutely right um uh you say like understand the problem and why are you the right right team to right team to solve that problem. I think that that's a very good framework. Starting with the problem first is absolutely key. And I, I definitely um, in the companies like to work with or invest in, it's definitely, that's a key thing that I, that I look for. It's not even, are you exactly the right team? Because I think as all engineers right now, we can solve any problem we decide to. Like, you know, ultimately we know the tools, we can put the teams together. We know the technology. So technology at this point in time is very, very rarely the blocking factor. The key factor that you look for is really deeply understanding the problem. Even more so, are you the right team to solve the problem? I think deeply, deeply, deeply understanding the problem and and seeing how you can create a solution. And it's and they could touch on what Mike said there in terms of making sure you're making the customers' life better. That that's important, but more important is yes, that, but also it's a valuable problem that they want to solve. It, it's easy. There's a lot of startups out there that have made customers' lives better, but not in a way that's sort of economic. It's not a big enough problem for the customer, or they're not really willing to pay for that solution. You go, yeah, this is cool. I like this app or I like this feature in this app, but you know what? I wouldn't pay even. A pound a month for that, you know. Therefore, that's not a business, right? Ultimately, a business is there to add value to their customers, and for the customers to receive that value and and pay for it, right? A business can't make money without paying for it. I think if I look back over the last, um, over the la- over the last, I think even 10 years in fintech, we've seen a progressive rise of increased funding coming into fintech. And we've seen that finish now. That wave is finished now. So this is a slightly dark future for fintech, I would say, um, in that we've seen valuation multiples for fintechs collapse over the last two years. The money that was there in 2021 just is not there right now. Some of the deals that were put in place at the end of 2021, even at the start of 2022, would not be happening today in today's market. So I think there's a lot of companies out there that are really searching for where their niches what the exact value proposi- value that they're offering to their customers and understanding that well, they'll be able to deliver that. And the cost-effective delivery of that is becoming increasingly important at the moment. So um, that's that's my advice. Make sure you identify a real problem that's going to be a valuable problem for your customers to solve, and you've identified that customers will pay uh, a suitable amount for that. Okay? So.
0: Perfect. Thank you, Glenn. And finally, Thomas, what, any take on this point here that you could add? I,
4: I would say just, keep your eyes open Uh, we are living a really really exciting world technology in improving rapidly and uh, there are plenty of opportunities what what we can utilize in the in the near near future so there are a lot of opportunities on the other hand there there will be some some difficulties what i mentioned uh, probably bigger participants gonna have more data gonna have an easier uh, place to start from so yeah it will be a really interesting word. i'm looking forward to it
0: perfect thank you Thomas. and and you know just to conclude there almost a, a really good conversation with four brilliant technical leaders in the industry um, i'm privileged to, to spend this hour with you all um, and and that was today's evolution exchange podcast our thanks to all our guests here joining us and sharing views with us and we'd also like to thank you for listening and hope you can join us again next time